0: Hello everyone, and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. We are Picture the Scene Podcast. We are a true crime podcast aimed to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. Now, each week we delve into the murky world of lesser-known crimes from the UK and Ireland, and occasionally we venture into renowned cases from around the globe. And if you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, subscribe to us on your preferred podcast platform of choice, and, if you have the capability Give us a rating review as well. It really means the world and then
1: some to us, doesn't it, Rachel? Yeah. We love hearing from you. We say it every week. We we aren't uh, we aren't just paying it lip service. Like we, we love interacting with our lovely listeners. We have some of the best listeners going. So please let us know what you think of our episodes, what you think of our show. Love hearing from you.
0: Yes, we do. And if you like it that much that you want to support us then please do head over to Patreon, where you can support us for as little as £1 a month. We have bonus content and episodes, depending on your tier, and it really does help us carry on. I'd just like to say a massive thank you to Claire Rodham, who joined our Patreon family a few weeks ago. Claire, I know we've been chatting anyway before you became a Patreon supporter, so thank you so much for joining. We appreciate it so much, and we hope that you're enjoying our back content. Now, as with any true crime podcast, listening to discretion is always advised. And today, I'm touching on a very multi-set of subjects. Abortion and the eventual death of a child. Now, abortion oh, is... Oh,
1: yeah.
0: dear. indeed.
1: Just, just for context, listeners, I know we're pre-recording these, so I I think I'll have given birth by now, but at the minute, I'm 35 weeks pregnant. I don't know whether I'll want to um, be discussing this.
0: You'll be okay, Rachel. But abortion, yeah, is a subject that people tend to feel strongly about, whichever side mm-hmm. of fence that you sit on. So we, and by we I mean Rachel and myself, we won't be expressing our personal opinion on it. And if we think abortion should be an option available to society or not, because we're not here to open that can of worms, we're just here to give you facts on a case. And we would only... And if we did, it'd only cloud the ability to do that. So on this occasion, we're not going to be sitting here telling you that people should or shouldn't be able to have abortions because that's for another time and place, isn't it, Rachel?
1: Well, and do you know what, Andrew? I really don't think it's any of our business. Like, And I mean, that with all due respect to every single one of our listeners, your own opinions and thoughts and views on it are yours, and, and that's perfectly allowed and normal. Um, I mean, I, yeah, I I don't think I would ever express my thoughts and opinions on abortion because I've been so lucky not to have to face that in my life um, that, you know, it, I would be doing it for without any, like, um, empathy for either side of the, the coin, if that makes sense. Um. So. So. Yeah. I just think that, like it, it really is your own business and no one else's. Um. And I. We, at Picture the Scene, completely respect that.
0: Yeah. You just put that a lot better than me, Rachel. I agree. I <laughs> second that. So. And just to finish the usual, but we do, where possible, now release episodes a week early for our patron supporters. So if you want to hear next week's episode today. Then head over to Patreon. And this actually might be especially useful if you don't want to hear today's episode due to the subject matter. So how are you doing, Rachel?
1: Yeah, I mean, after that kind of headliner, um, yeah, probably a little less chirpy than I was when we first started recording today. But uh I'm I'm all good. Uh thanks, Andrew. How are you?
0: I'm sparkling, thank you very much. Well, I've got I've just come back off COVID, as you know, but i tell our listeners, so I have no taste at the moment. Now, I don't mean <laughs> in music or anything like that, because that's never been there, but um, <laughs> taste in my mouth, but yeah, it's weird, or smell.
1: And just but yeah, I mean, I don't mean to sound mean, Andrew, I'm actually going to change the camera angle, because I look very fat and pregnant there, um, just to, not to sound mean, Andrew, but you sound like you have COVID too. Do I? Yeah, like you're quite, like, nasally. So that's,
0: okay that's okay but
1: get well soon hopefully and listeners are i am um, touch wood and everything that i can touch um i haven't had covid yet to the best of my knowledge which is wow. mad it
0: yeah tempting tem- fate though but well if i sound a bit different then I'll, i apologize listeners hopefully i'll be back to normal by the next um it
1: weekend. can't be helped covid is rife at the minute Just grateful we're not in a lockdown, hey?
0: Exactly. But are you ready for some true crime?
1: Yes, let's go for it. Let's see what you've got to say and hopefully it won't be too distressing for me or our listeners.
0: Okay then. So if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax. Close your eyes and picture the scene. Today I'm taking us back to the 11th of May 2020. And today we're in the village of Barnaston in Staffordshire. No, it's got a population of around 3,000 people. It's a well-to-do area, known mainly for the fact that Wedgwood, the famous pottery maker, has a factory there and has had one since 1940. And the Barlaston First School that is situated there has now been in existence for over 140 years, Rachel.
1: What's the town called, sorry? Barlaston. Barlaston. lovely.
0: Probably pronouncing that wrong, but yeah. And where,
1: what, what? Take this part out, but what part of the country are we?
0: Uh Staffordshire, so it's near Stoke,
1: Staffordshire, Stoke,
0: right if you mi- On this day in May 2020, we're deep in COVID lockdown territory. So while it may have been an unusually mild day for the time of year, with the temperature at its best failing to get past eleven degrees Celsius, which is fifty two degrees Fahrenheit it wouldn't have mattered much to most people, given they were stuck inside anyway. Now, I'd like to take us to one particular home in Barduston, and that's to the home where Carla Foster, who was 44, and her long-term partner, Stephen Burks, lived with their three children, who were 19, 15, and 11 at the time. So while the pair were in a long-term relationship, it wasn't unusual usual one. In 2019, the pair had actually split up, but due to COVID restrictions, Carla had moved back into the home where lockdown began, so they'd both have unrestricted access to their children.
1: So, oh, that's think, nice. It was obviously an amicable split as well, because that can't have been an easy decision. But
0: No, it can't have been, no. Uh, th- and it was especially important, Rachel, because... Well, it's important for any child, but especially for the middle child that they had, because their mid- middle child had autism. So he would have struggled not having regular contact with both parents for such a prolonged period of time. But as a result, though, of moving back in, due to firstly just due, due to convenience, it did rekindle their relationship and they became a couple again.
1: Oh, COVID couple. COVID romance, eh?
0: Yes. On the 11th of May, at around 4.25 in the afternoon, Carter dialed 999. The emergency services to tell them that she was 28 weeks pregnant and she suspected she was having a miscarriage.
1: So I know this the... case. Oh, do you? I do.
0: Oh, okay. Well, that's good then.
1: Yeah. And I know why you put that one at the height of the episode as well.
0: Yes. When the paramedics attended, she said that either in August. Or September of the previous year, she suffered a miscarriage and had been told that she was not pregnant. But her GP had recently told her that he thought she had not expelled a miscarriage, so he had given her drugs in order for that to happen. The paramedics gave her a quick examination, and based on that and what Carter had told them, believed that she was not pregnant and left. A few hours later, at 6.39pm, Carla's partner, Stephen, called 999 to tell them that Carla had told him she thought she was in labour and to call an ambulance. While he was on the phone to the emergency services, Carla gave birth to her daughter, Lily, who was not breathing when she was delivered. The paramedics arrived within 20 minutes and despite the fact that Lily had not been breathing, this whole time they attempted resuscitation taken over from Stephen, who had also been trying to resuscitate Lily in the meantime before Lily arrived. Lily would be rushed to the hospital in an attempt to save her life, who would ultimately be pronounced dead at 7.45pm. Carter was also taken to the hospital to be treated for matters related to the birth. So a post-mortem was carried out on Lily and it was determined that she was between 32 and 34 weeks gestated, and the cause of her death was a combination of stillbirth and the maternal use of drugs which are designed to create an abortion. They determined that if Lily was 32 weeks old, then she had been conceived towards the end of September 2019. So while the pair were separated the year before, Carla had gone on dates with other men, which, you know, is pretty normal given she was single at the time, isn't it, Rachel?
1: Yeah, well, within her rights to date.
0: Exactly. And she had brief relationships with two of the men she'd gone on dates with. And in or around September of 2019, she fell pregnant to one of them. She wasn't sure she said which one she fell pregnant to, but it would come out later that she didn't know. So, when the police spoke to both Carter and Stephen, both in their home and at the hospital, they initially came to the viewpoint that this was a tragic incident with no suspicious circumstances being attributed to Lily's death.
1: So, can I just ask if there's a death of a baby and paramedics are on does do the police just naturally get alerted? Like, why were they alerted at all? If at all, were there any suspicious? Suspicions yeah, from the doctors, or yeah,
0: no, no, but it's when there's a death, and naturally, because you have to, when it's um, yeah, basically, they're naturally can, alerted.
1: The, the reason I'm asking that, listeners, is I can imagine, like, in normal circumstances, it would be quite a traumatic part, you know, event obviously, ve- sorry, very traumatic event that you're going through, and then to have to like speak to police about well, it when you're trying to come to terms with it yourself would be, like, just... You, you, I, I would be thinking, well, why am I speaking to you? I've just lost my my child. Do you know what I mean?
0: No, I get it, yeah. So, no, you, you're you right. And But Carla's first proper actual police interview didn't come until four days after the birth, and it was voluntary, so she didn't need to go in to speak to him then. And it did occur in the police station, and she didn't even have any representation from any solicitor or legal representative with her what? So that showed you how informal it was and she proceeded to give the police a partial account of what happened but for carla she didn't realize it. it was one that had inconsistency inconsistencies in it because she did admit that she had contacted bpass which is a british pregnancy advisory service because she wanted an abortion and as a result, had obtained the drugs required to have an abortion in the post from them, and that she had taken those drugs. She told the police that she didn't realize how pregnant she was until she had felt the head of the baby when she was given birth, and it's wow. possible, yeah, and it's possible that she may have conceived in either October of or Christmas of the previous year. So when the post, because it was a post mortem, because it was an unexplained death so when the post-mortem results uh, came and because of the interview Carla had with the police where she admitted taking the uh, abortion drugs the police began the, an investigation of Lily's death after almost a year and a half had passed since her birth and the police they were still investigating the death they asked Carla to go back in for a second interview she agreed and on the 16th of December, 2021, she attended. And when she was told that the doctor believed Lily was delivered at 32 weeks, Carly replied that she did not think she was that far gone and had since the death of Lily, worked out that she was about 24 or 26 weeks pregnant when she took the drugs.
1: Wow.
0: She did, though, admit in a second interview that she had lied to BPS about how pregnant she was to ensure that they sent her the drugs and that she had first found out she was pregnant in December of 2019 where she took a pregnancy test.
1: And can I just ask as well, again, just from my knowledge, BPAS, they were purely giving out these drugs over the phone because it was during COVID. Their normal yes. procedure would have been to meet the patient, yes, assess how far along they were, and then... Prescribe the drugs
0: right yeah yeah i'll go into that in a little bit of detail later on but yeah that's exactly okay. right yeah so carla went on to say that she was too embarrassed to see a doctor about her pregnancy because she did not want her partner Stephen to find out that she'd had sex with another man when they had been separated which sounds like a fair enough thing to say if you ask me
1: i mean reasonable i don't know whether that's the right word I guess there's an element of panic, right? Um, You're not with anyone. You're having consensual sex. You fall pregnant. And then in a whirlwind in which she was pregnant and not back with her partner because COVID had not struck at the point that she will have known and have taken a pregnancy test. She has made a conscious decision at that stage. So to then hide it. For as long as she did. I'm yeah. not sure. I'm, I'm I'm not sure that is that's what I would classify as reasonable behavior. I'm not like take the abortion out of it, take the abortion pills out of it. I'm just saying like she COVID so the so COVID was rife for, uh, or, or or spreading across Europe in the February, and then we went into lockdown in the March. At that point. If she's claiming she took a test in December, she'd have been five months, maybe even six months pregnant. Um, and she's not back with her partner at this point, is she? So, yeah, you know, I think she's made a conscious decision, not a rash decision, but a conscious decision to keep that from him. But that's no, just my opinion.
0: No, that make, Yeah, that makes sense. Um, so, yeah, in, in the interview, she had been cautious about what she said to the paramedics when they first attended for that exact same reason. She did admit to telling them that she was 28 weeks pregnant and she agreed that she was past the legal limit to take the abortion drugs when she took them. So on the 16th of June 2022, some six months later, she was notified that she was being charged for the crime of child destruction and would appear in magistrates court three days later on the 19th. So. When that day came, her solicitor entered no plea or gave no indication of a plea, which is is actually, this is pretty common, uh, Rachel, because when something's guaranteed to go up to Crown Court, it's quite often there'll be no plea. It could be for a number of reasons. It could be to get legal aid, because most crimes in Crown Court qualify for legal aid. It could be to, on this instance, it was... To it was pending some expert reports, some prosecution papers, and some mental health assessments. So it could be for a number of reasons why he didn't put a a plea in. However, um, however, it's not uncommon for that to happen.
1: Yeah, and do you know what? Like in her defence at this stage, I'm thinking, why would you enter a plea? Why would you want to enter a plea? It's been two years that they've been investigating the case your thoughts are probably going to be along the lines of, it's a very tricky case to navigate. That's why it's taken them two years to charge me with anything. You know, I'm I'm going to see how it plays out before I start, you know, and entering not guilty, guilty, like, yeah, whatever that looked like.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, you're right. So two months later, on the 18th of August at a trial preparation hearing, Carlos Barrister asked the prosecution if they'd given consideration to charging her under Section 58 of the Offences Against the Person Act 1861. Now, I don't expect anyone to know what that is, given it's quite obscure and over 160 years old, so here is what that section actually states. Every woman, being with child, who, with intent to procure her own miscarriage, shall unlawfully administer to herself any poison or other noxious thing, or shall unlawfully use any instrument or other means whatsoever with the like intent, and whosoever with intent to procure the miscarriage of any woman, whether she be or be not with child, shall unlawfully administer to her or cause to be taken by her any poison or other noxious thing, or shall unlawfully use any instrument or other means whatsoever with the like intent, shall be guilty of felony, and being convicted thereof shall be liable to be kept in penal servitude for life. Wow. So, yes, I did just say for life. So it could have actually come with a a full life sentence in theory.
1: That's how much, like, that's how outdated that that act is. Yes. Like, (sighs) Fucking hell. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yes, there's a very emotive subject on, on the cards right now and something that I expressed at the top of the episode we're not going to share our own personal opinions on. But that is archaic. Yeah.
0: Yes. So the prosecution stated, because don't forget this was a defence um, suggestion, not a prosecution suggestion. The prosecution stated... They didn't see much difference between that and the original count of child destruction, so they agreed to add an additional charge in addition to the original one. So Carla would plead not guilty to the charge of child destruction, but she would plead guilty to Section 58 of the offences against the person charge. There would be no trial due to the second guilty plea, as the first count was eventually dropped by the prosecution. So when he was sentencing carla the judge sums up a few things and i'm going to go over a lot of them here because i think the information is useful for us to give us a bigger picture rachel and also to give us an opinion on the final sentence
1: yeah go for it
0: so the judge said that under abortion laws in the uk a woman would usually be required to attend a clinic to obtain and take the first set of drugs she needed to induce an abortion and then she'd be able to take the second set at home to complete the process. But due to COVID, on the 30th of March, 2020, the Secretary of State for Health and Social Care approved a woman's home as a suitable place for abortion treatment due to COVID, meaning attending clinics couldn't and wouldn't need to occur.
1: And, like, the thing is, COVID was, like, we were dealing with the absolute unknown in every aspect of the word, weren't we? So, again what what else were they meant to do then then yeah. give women an option Wh- which women and men are are and should be entitled to options for their body you know and for their safety and for the, the you know their health and their mental state during like i know this term really got on my nerves during covid but it was unprecedented times
0: it was you right um this was actually just as an aside, it it was challenged at the time by the you know, by various anti-abortion groups in the high courts, but they lost all of those challenges. Um, and I ju- can see why. Yeah.
1: Again, you know, it's it's very emotive subject, and you know, at the minute, isn't it a lot talked about? Um, you know, assisted suicide. Um, being that there are. Opportunities for people to take advantage of the system, and I imagine that would have been a similar potential risk in this particular law being passed.
0: Yeah, yeah. The thing is, I'm not talking about abortion medication here in particular. I'm talking about everything. But regardless of what the eventual right like, procedural system is. There's always opportunity for people to try and take advantage, isn't there? Regardless of what area it's in. It doesn't I don't just mean healthcare but anything.
1: No. I
0: agree. The judge pointed out that Carla's claim she only found out that she was pregnant in December was contradicted by the fact that on the first of February twenty twenty, a message on her phone would show that she had been she knew she had been pregnant for three months already. That would put her knowledge to at least around the start of November. Further searches on her phone would show that by mid-February of 2020, Carla was searching for ways she could induce a miscarriage and by the end of February, she was searching for abortion services. A search on the 25th of February shows that on that date, Carla believed that she was 23 weeks pregnant. Throughout March and April, her internet searches continued in relation to how to have an abortion. And on the 24th of April, she searched with the term, I need to have an abortion, but I'm past 24 weeks. On the 6th of May, Carter called BPAS. Remember the British Pregnancy Advisory Service? Mm -hmm. But But she gave them false answers on the telephone. So it would seem like she was only seven weeks and four days pregnant. After that call, the abortion drugs were posted out to her. On the 9th of May, Carla took the first lot of drugs, and on the same day, she undertook an internet search that would indicate that she thought she might be at least 28 weeks pregnant. On the 11th of May, the day she gave birth to her daughter, she took the second lot of drugs. Further internet searches by her that evening after she gave birth would show that she thought she was at least 30 weeks pregnant by that time. The judge went on to state that this shows when she spoke to both the police and medical staff, she knew she was lying about how pregnant she was. Mm. The judge also did state that this was a tragic case, and the vast majority of women and girls seeking an abortion only do so after the most anxious of consideration. That is often a very difficult decision and it's always intensely personal and painful. Equally, the vast majority of women and girls recognise that they must make a decision about whether to seek an abortion at an early stage of their pregnancy and well before the 24 week limit imposed by law. The judge stated that there was no modern day census and guidelines for a case like this. Obviously, showing that he knew that you can't lock her up for life for this mm. this crime but he did find a similar case in which a woman had received three and a half years by the appeal court yeah. the judge accepted Carter must have been in turmoil about the whole situation while she may not have been suffering from any mental health conditions at the time she now suffers from deep depression and often has nightmares and flashbacks about seeing her dead child's face. He said he was taking into account she was a good mother, and that one of her children had special needs, and needed her love and support. He would sentence Carla to 28 months in prison, and said it was a tragedy that she did not plead guilty at the magistrate's court, because if she had done, she could have had the full early plea reduction and he would have been able to suspend her sentence. He said that she'd spend half her time in prison, so 14 months, and the other 14 months on licence. So Carla's defence, they would appeal this sentence, Rachel, stating that it was too harsh. The ground for the appeal was that not all of the mitigating factors were taken into consideration and also... A number of high-profile medical experts and doctors had actually wrote to the original judge at the time, appealing on behalf of Carla. At the time, the judge dismissed that appeal from them, saying that it was wholly inappropriate to do such a thing. And he gave the example that it would be equally as inappropriate for people lobbying against abortion to have done the same thing to him. Mm. The appeal judges would agree with the original judge on the aspect of that letter stating that the medical experts and doctors should have known better. But the appeal judges did say, well, it was one appeal judge actually, sorry, did say that there was a large amount of mitigating factors for this case and that combined they should have affected the sentence. And the appeal judges would state that a prison sentence in a situation like this would serve no purpose for anyone and would only harm both Carla and her family when she's already suffering enough. They would state that this is a case that required compassion, not punishment. So they reduced Carla's sentence to 14 months suspended so that she could be released immediately. So, Rachel, I know it's quite a different case, but I think it's important to get a a wide spectrum on our show. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's quite a sensitive topic, so... I guess a few questions for you, if you don't mind. So, what are your, I, what are your views in this case, okay, on this case, I guess, the sentence, how she obtained her drugs, and also anything else, including, because I am obviously, I've never been pregnant, so, <laughs> when um, when. The judge is stating, like you knew. Basically, to where you knew how far gone you was, you knew your pregnancy. I mean, this is a woman who has been pregnant three times before and given birth three times before. So does that experience would that lend to more knowledge or or how would that work?
1: Well, first of all, just for context, like I'm 35 weeks pregnant and since 26 weeks. Although a lot a lot earlier than that, but since twenty-six weeks, I've had a lot of baby movements. And like I mean the movements start like started for me like sixteen or seventeen weeks pregnant, but they've become a lot more like apparent and I know like when my baby's awake and what's going on and where they're moving and how they're how they're moving. So to to have been pregnant up to 32 to 34 weeks, which is from what I understand what they had determined the fetus was at at, um, her time of birth. Um, Carla, unless the placenta was in such a way where she couldn't really feel the baby move a lot, Carla would have been actively every day feeling that that baby inside of her kicking. Um, So for me, that's a really hard thing to acknowledge and consider when obviously all these things are wearing around her head as a mother of three, one of the children already needing her more of her care and attention. Like, you know, I I can't uh, comprehend how desperate she must have felt in those dark hours and in COVID and being unaware of how she gets out of this situation. And ultimately, probably the hopeless romantic in me feels like she'd have just wanted to just be with her long-term partner again and for everything to be perfect and not, not have these things to worry about. Like she probably would have spent her days wishing time. She could rewind time and have not have had those encounters with those men. Um, so that kind of answers that part of the question, but what I did want to kind of comment on, um, was when you started to to go through the judge's summary and the rounding up of the case and whether or not it was appropriate for a jail sentence, I started thinking to myself, what crime has been committed here? And and like I, I answered my own question in those moments. The crime that was committed was that she wasn't truthful. She lied to the police. Yeah. Um yeah. and she lied to the paramedics. She did not give the level of detail that was required to anyone that could have been able to assess and manage that situation that she was in effectively. I think that's the number one crime that's been committed here because I don't have any views I I wish to share on the actions that she took because I've not been in a situation and I can't, I can't feel like I can judge her, or, or you know, try and walk a mile in her shoes and comprehend what she was going through.
0: Do you believe that? um, Do you believe that if she had been truthful from the start, they wouldn't have taken it to court over this?
1: Yeah, I think she'd have been dealt with from a mental health services perspective, or at least I hope she would have been dealt with from a mental health services perspective and treated with dignity and care that she so clearly needed, especially, you know, handling the flashbacks and the post-traumatic stress and the depression. Um, But the police have done what they've needed to do because they found a case that she's had to answer because of the lies.
0: I think you might be right because when the judge, original judge, said that he found a similar case, that was again one where the um, the mother hadn't been truthful and hidden. So I guess it was a similar situation there where with the same similar factors. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I agree. I, I.
1: and I don't envy the judge. I don't envy the judges that had to sit through the initial trial and then the judges that had to review the case post, you know, the, the initial sentencing. Um. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm guessing as well the officers that had dealt with the case and had to put, you know, the case together for the prosecution must have had to have some form of counselling as well because – what I learned from the research I did into the Lucy Lepi case is you're dealing with children that have no voice, you know, they can't speak for themselves and lives have been lost at such a young age where like they're helpless and innocent and, and it must be really difficult for people to wrap their heads around the actions that that have, that have been taken to get to where they are. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I hope I'm not fobbing off your questions there. I'm just, yeah, trying to answer as as honestly as I can with my my thoughts on the case whilst being sensitive to the individuals because, yeah, I don't think there's any other way we can speak about this.
0: I guess one last question and you don't have to answer this one, make if you don't want to. Um, With regards to, obviously, COVID was unusual for all people for many things so that's why they allowed the drugs to be administered at home now the doctors and the experts who wrote to the judge originally to try and appear on behalf of Carla they said that being able to administer these drugs by telephone basically was groundbreaking and a um, and a significant step forward uh, for the abortion services for future women. Now the question I have is, I, and obviously the people on the other side said that if that never happened, then then Carla would have been assessed at a clinic, and that would have never happened in the first place. So the the, the question clinics
1: that, weren't open.
0: Yeah. Oh, I know. I know that. But I'm just yeah. saying that that's the argument that they said. I guess the question I have is now these people are pushing for the fact that it's just to be the norm that they can be administered right away for? Do you think that is correct or do you think there should still be that initial face-to-face consultation first?
1: I believe, again, just to caveat, not experienced the need to use this service in my life and I feel very fortunate for that. But I believe that there are services that are needed remotely because there are people that are unable to break away from home. They might be found at home for disability reasons or they might be isolated, you know, from people that keep them inside and away from, like, society that can't just turn up at a clinic and be assessed. Um, So I think that there would need to be, like, on a case-by-case basis, uh, a very hard assessment on how patients are, are dealt with in these circumstances. But in terms of the norm for the process, absolutely, you'd want to be seeing patients face-to-face, in my opinion, and you'd want to be talking to them and making sure that they're not being pressured into making that decision as well. Because not only are females, um, you know, in charge of making a decision sometimes they are pressured into making these decisions and i feel in a clinic in env- clinical environment those healthcare specialists could identify that you know and see that someone is being pressured into doing something they don't want to do so you know that would be an opportunity to help that individual on the other end of the spectrum
0: that makes sense yeah um yeah, that makes perfect. I didn't think about that aspect, but yeah. Uh, sure. Shall I wrap this up, this tragic story, Rachel? Yes,
1: yeah, I think so.
0: So this has been season four, episode five, called Compassion, Not Punishment. Now, sometimes in life, crimes are committed where the perpetrator can seem to be suffering enough from committing the crime And that any legal punishment wouldn't even come close to how they're suffering anyway. In situations like that, is it really appropriate to punish? Or is it a case where no additional punishment should be expected and always given? So thank you everyone for listening to this. And we will be back next week. We've one that's a little bit um, easier on our ears.
1: I would appreciate that. Thank you, Andrew. No, thank you for bringing the case to us. And I hadn't actually wanted to hear more about this case because I'd heard of it. It hit hit big headlines in the UK uh, last year, Um, and I'd actively chosen not to hear more about it. So I'm grateful that you you know, positioned it uh, the way that you did um, and brought it to us. Um, yeah, and, and we got to learn about it without hearing some of the things that the press sometimes aren't afraid to to tell, some of the, the, the finer details.
0: Yeah, I didn't actually hear about, I didn't know about this case, so I read it just from all the legal papers. So That's probably why I um, thankfully missed those parts out. But... Okay, everyone, thank you, and we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you, bye.